to Becoming Your Best Version, where I have the opportunity to interview amazing, inspiring women whose paths have crossed mine and who are bringing such light into the world. Today's wonderful woman is Sky Bergman from the West Coast. She is an accomplished, award-winning photographer. Lives Well Lived is a new documentary that celebrates the incredible wit, wisdom, and life experience of older adults living full and meaningful lives in their later years, encompassing 3,000 years of collected collective life experience, diverse people share life lessons about perseverance, the human spirit, and staying positive in the midst of life's greatest challenges. It was screened in more than 200 cities, garnered awards, and is being aired on PBS. It is Sky's directorial debut. Her fine work is included in a permanent collection at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, the Brooklyn Museum, Seattle Art Museum, Santa Barbara Museum of Art, and the Bibliothèque Nationale de France. Her commercial work has appeared on book covers for Random House and Farrar, Strauss and Giro, Inc. And magazine spreads in Smithsonian, Arthur Frommer's Budget Travel, Reader's Digest, and Archaeology Odyssey. Sky currently is a professor of photography and video at Cal Poly State University and in San Luis Obispo, California. Check out www.lives-well-lived.com for more information. Welcome, Sky. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am lucky because you are a busy, busy woman whose first documentary is on PBS and is so sparkling in joy and in inspiration. I am so just pleased that I've been able to learn about your work. So I know the answer to this question, but please tell our listeners, how did this gem germinate in your consciousness and become this beautiful homage to older people, including your very own beloved grandmother. Wow, that's quite an introduction. I don't know. <laughs> I thank you for that. Um, well, I was looking at approaching 50, which I think that half century mark is a really big uh, marker in most of our lives. And my grandmother was approaching 100 and she was still working out at the gym. And she was my role model and my hero. And I was looking for, for role models of what I could become as I aged. And, you know, I think in the media, we don't see that. We see all these anti-aging creams and all the things that we can do to not age. And let's face it, we all are going to age. That's the one thing we all have in common. And so um, I wanted to find positive role models out there of what I could become and what I could look forward to. And so I... Um, you know, it was really my grandmother working out at the gym and me filming her at working out at the gym. And, um, and she didn't start working out till she was 80. So it's never too old to start something new, which I love. That love was such that. an inspiration for me. And I, I came back from that trip. She lived in Florida and I'm in California, as you mentioned. And I came back from that trip and I, I thought there is a project here and I'm going to find other people out there that are as much an inspiration as my grandmother is to me. And that started this whole odyssey, really. <laughs> yeah. And how did you find these extraordinary seniors? 
Well, I sent a call, an email blast out, a call out to my friends, family, and all the alum that I've taught over the years that I've been here at Cal Poly. And I said, here's a clip of my grandmother at the gym. It's just a little one minute video clip of her. And I said, if you have somebody like her in your life, that's as much an inspiration as she is to me, then please nominate them for this project. And I didn't know I was making a film. I just thought it would be some kind of a project and I'd collect these stories. I really didn't know where I was going with it at that point. And I was just inundated by wonderful, beautiful, heartwarming nominations from people. And that was how it started. I had uh, asked people some questions about the person, you know, tell me a little bit about them. Why are they an inspiration? And wow, what a, what a treat it was to read all of those. So that was really the beginning. Was it hard to narrow it down? Because I'm guessing you got a fair amount of feedback and ideas of incredible people in their later years. How did you determine which ones you, who would make the final cut? Yeah, that's a tough one because, you know, there were some people who were really sweet and wonderful and had great stories. But what I realized is that, I, you know, I come from the still photography world. As you mentioned, this is my directorial debut. The only video that I had ever done before was of my grandmother cooking because she was an amazing cook who never wrote a recipe down. And so that was my first foray into doing video. So I like to say that because if I can do it, you can do it too. It's like mm -hmm. follow your passion. Mm -hmm. um, but I coming from that still photography world, what I had to learn about film and video is that you could have, I could do a great photograph of anyone and that's a single solitary moment and then write a beautiful article about that person. But if you're asking them to tell their own story, not everyone is a great storyteller. So even though they may have a great story, not everyone can tell it in a way that other people are really gonna to wanna to listen for a long time. And so part of it was, was figuring out who were the good storytellers in the group. And the other part is once I realized that I was going to put together a feature film, I really wanted to have a diverse group of people in the film. So it was really looking for people that could tell different stories. So there were times when I had two stories that were very similar and I kind of had to pick which one was going to remain in the film and which one was going to end up just as a legacy for their family. And, um, and I did give all the footage that I shot to all the families and all the transcripts. So all the families ended up with something. And every person that I interviewed ended up with a film credit and is on our webpage under the film stars. So everyone got a credit. But just, you know, again, I wanted to have that diverse group of stories and, and uh, find the people that could really tell them in an engaging way. Yes, and I've watched the documentary and I think you're very adept at cutting in and cutting out and making um, something that holds the viewer's interest. Mm -hmm. Very, very adept. So I'm surprised this is your first film. I hope <laughs> it won't be your last because you definitely have talent here. Thank and, you. And uh, how did you get PBS to pick it up? I think that that came over a number of years of really having the film out there. Uh, we had a really successful film festival run. That was when in 2017, when film festivals were still in person and we won a lot of awards. And then we got a theatrical distribution. So we had a nice theatrical release and we got a lot of really great reviews. And I think just that building, you know, it was the building blocks. And I think I was in it for the long haul. And um, I'm persistent and resilient as many of the people in the film are. And so I just didn't never gave up. And I just kept pushing to try and, and get the film on PBS. It does take 
having a bit of a thick skin, you get a lot of rejections and you just have to keep coming at it maybe from a different angle. And sometimes it just takes one person to see the film who really believes in it to get it pushed in the right direction. And that's really what happened. I had um, a woman from um, PBS who saw it, who fell in love with the film and it, kind of the rest is history. But we did get some rejections before we got to the yes. So uh, I always like to say no is just a starting point. And if you I really believe it. in what you're doing, you just keep persisting until, you know, in a, in a be respectfully persistent, but in a way that you can hopefully um, make something happen that you really believe in. I am using that no is just a starting point. Wow, so many of us give up at the first no. I love um, it, what wisdom yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm also fascinated with your work in that you work with the next generation mm -hmm. and you work with the generation that preceded us. So what is that like for you to, have, to spend most of your working hours with college age students and then to spend a significant chunk of your time examining the lives of people a generation ahead of us. What was that like? And what kinds of, did you draw any conclusions about a significant change in the next generation or maybe some um, trailblazing that was done by the previous generation that we benefited from, which in turn our trailblazing will enable the next generation to benefit? Right. Well, I think it's interesting because I grew up with my grandparents and I grew up around all of their friends. And so I never saw the distinction of these different silos of generations. I always just saw them as people. And so I think that that has, you know, for me as well now, as you mentioned, dealing with college students all the time, I don't really think about their age. I think about them as people. And I think that that's how you develop a, a world that is a little less of, uh, has a little less of the isms in, in all categories is just think of people as people. And one of the things that I'm doing with the film is using the film as a catalyst actually to connect generations. So we're doing all these intergenerational projects where we show the film to older adults and to students in college or high school. And then we um, pair them up with each other and they spend a quarter or a semester getting to know each other. They use the questions that I asked everyone in the film. I had 20 set of standard questions that I asked everyone as a starting point for our interviews. And, um, and then they do a big rap party at the end. And what the students will often say is that they are, are kind of blown away by the fact that there are far more common commonalities and differences. And that it's, I do feel like I'm combating ageism one story and one connection at a time, because it's much more difficult to have an ism or a stereotype about a group of people when you know somebody from that other group. And all of a sudden the others and that all goes away. And so um, the more that I can do that, the better. That is wonderful, wonderful, because I, I believe everyone, if you talk to them long enough, has wisdom to impart and commonality to enjoy. And uh, so many of us, well, especially because our society is fairly youth obsessed, maybe bypass those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that you are shining the light on just how much we're missing by doing that. Absolutely. I, I, when I was doing the research for the film, one of the things that I read in the Huffington Post was that the last hundred years is the first time in human history that we've looked to anyone other than our elders for advice. And I really feel the world is suffering as a result. And that statement really stayed with me. I mean, obviously, I've, I've 
have it in my consciousness. And that was one of the many things that prompted me to do these intergenerational connections, because I really took for granted that I had that in my life. But I think my life was so much richer and fuller because I had that. And I was always open to having friends of all generations. And I feel so fortunate that I've, that I've had that. And, um, and I attribute that really to my grandparents who, especially my grandmother, you know, one of the things I would ask her is, well, what do you, you know, attribute to living a long life? And she said, or a happy long life. And she said, always make sure you have friends of different ages and especially younger friends. And I think that was really true for her. And um, so I've tried to incorporate that in my life and also explore that with other people and show them the value of that and how wonderful it can be to have friends of all different ages because you learn from them in so many different ways. And I think the great thing about that intergenerational project, it is, it is bilateral. So the elder adults also learn about the younger generation and what they're dealing with and what they're going through. And I think that's equally as important that again, we stop seeing each other as these siloed different generations and just start seeing each other as people and different experiences that we're going through. So, so true. And I think in many, well, my mom is from the Philippines and it's very common for three generations to live together and as it is in many other cultures, but not so much in the United States anymore. So um, I applaud the work that you're doing because Americans are missing out and you're helping to, to close that gap. I really enjoyed looking at the discussion guide on your website for people to connect intergenerationally, and also if they want to start an intergenerational project in their own community, you've made it very easy to do so. So tell us about how did you come up with the questions and um, how, what's some of the feedback that you're receiving? Well, the questions, you know, I'm lucky enough um, to teach at a university, as you mentioned, and when I realized that I was going to do this project, I decided that I'm an artist, I'm not a social scientist, but I thought I should probably take some people from the social sciences out to lunch and ask them, here's some of the questions I'm thinking of, what are some questions I'm missing? And so I had the input of different professors here that teach the psychology of aging class, that teach in the social sciences department, and they really helped me formulate some of the questions. Like one of the questions that I ask is, what do you think of your own mortality? I, that's such a, an important question because we don't talk about death at all in our society, but it's such an, I mean, you know, you're talking about, I was interviewing people 75 and older who they're facing it in a very different way, that idea of their own mortality and what a great question that was. I mean, that was, so that was kind of how I formulated the questions was really, I think when you go about a project like this, first of all, I didn't know what the heck I was doing at all. And, but I'm not afraid to ask other people for help. And I'm not afraid to say, this is what I'm doing. What is your feedback? And I'm open to those suggestions and open to that feedback. And you know, when it resonates with you and when something feels right. And when you're like, no, 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 that's totally off base. But there are times if you allow yourself to be open that you can really gain so much knowledge and your project, whatever it is that you're working on can be so much richer if you are open to asking for help and for feedback. And so that, is, that has been the case for me throughout this process. Oh, and, that's so um, yeah. smart. Very, very smart that people don't realize that asking for help is often a sign of courage and humility because uh, everything benefits from diverse points of view. Everything. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I did early on was I did a, a um, sneak preview of the film and I wanted to do that while my, you know, 
I was dealing with an aging population in my film and I wanted to make sure that as many people that were in the film could see it. So uh, the San Luis Obispo Film Festival is lovely enough to let me do a sneak preview in 2016 and 27 of the 40 people that I interviewed were there. And it was in an 850 person theater sold out. And I handed out feedback forms to everyone. And we got about 250 feedback forms that were turned back in either online or in person. And I went through and, and looked at that feedback and really reframed how I put together the film in the end. And I think that it was, you know, it's hard because it's your own, especially as an artist, like this is my work, but I also realized that I needed to be open to looking at what were some of the suggestions. And again, some of it resonated and some of it didn't. Some of it was just, you know, very personal sort of stuff. But some of it, I think when you see it repeated throughout a number of the feedback forms, you know, you should probably pay attention to it. So I, I think that part of being like humble and being open and, um, and allowing you, yourself to pivot, you know, not being so hard and fast in the way that you do something, I think can really enrich a project that you're working on. Look, to do a film like this, it takes a village of people that help me out along the way. So um, I think that that's really important. And that included the village of the people that went to that sneak preview and helped me by, you know, writing out those feedback, taking the time to write out those feedback forms. Yeah, really great idea. Um, one of the questions that I wish I could uh, have the answer, all the answers that you received is what is the best advice you ever got? Do you remember any answers to that question that uh, stuck with you? Well, I think um, for me, probably the thing that has helped me the most is something that Ebby Justison said in the film, which is um, she talks about reading Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. And what she got out of reading that book was that there are many times in our life when we can't control the things that are happening around us, but what we can control is our attitude about how we deal with those things. And that has, I think that piece of advice has been the thing that has really helped me get through some tough times, including the pandemic. I mean, look, we are globally going through this thing that none of us could have predicted or could change, but we can control our attitude about how we move through it. And, um, and that has really made a big difference for me. So I think that's probably the best piece of advice. And then the other piece of advice that I, it really comes from my grandmother is um, she always lived her life being kind. So if she had two choices to be kind or not, she was always kind. And I think of that often in that moment where you can make a decision of, are you going to be kind or not? Just go with the being kind, you know, be kind over right many times that that's a better way to live. And if we were all a little kinder to each other, what a better world this would be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Man's Search for Meaning, Meaning was a pivotal book in my life as well. I write about it in, and how it affected me in my book, 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. And uh, I mean, this man was in a concentration camp and every single thing was taken away from him, but his attitude and the ability to determine how he was going to respond. And I think your point about the pandemic is very well taken and very true because we all could feel sorry for ourselves or we all could say, I get to stay home rather than I have to stay home. One can reframe their situation over and over and over again. And that which we focus on and believe is what gets magnified in our lives. So thank you for sharing that. And I guess um, with all the wonderful study that you've done, 
you probably have been able to think about this. My question of all my guests is what do you do to become your best version? Yeah, that is such a good question. I think that for, for me, um, it's not letting fear stand in the way of doing something. So instead of saying why, say why not? And really going for it. And I think that staying true to what your passion is, I have never let money stand as an obstacle in anything that I've done. I've always figured out a way to make something happen. You know, you can always, you can always put a lot of obstacles in your way to yeah. your dream. And I have tried to um, just keep that dream alive. I mean, even making a film, for example, I mean, it, it costs money to do that. And I had to think creatively of how do I raise the funds to make a film? And I started renting my house out through Airbnb to make the money to rent, to do the film. Ah. And so I think, you know, sometimes you have to think a little bit outside the box, but I think um, having that big dream and, and not letting obstacles stand in the way and staying why to more things and why not to more things instead of why, I think that that's been my kind of way of, of being. What a beautiful message and what an inspiration for all of us to apply to our lives because of course we can live in fear. Fear seeps into every crevice if we allow it to. And oftentimes even anger is um, springs from fear, fear of being alone, fear of being hurt. And uh, I will leave this conversation today to think about kindness and how to apply more kindness into my life. And uh, in the recovery community, we often say, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And I think that it's just another way of phrasing what you just said. So um, thank you so much for taking time from your teaching schedule, from your filmmaking and photography to share with us some of the wonderful things that you're putting out in the world and your view of the world that is really, really beautiful. So thank you, Sky and everyone. You are doing yourself a disservice if you do not watch this film. You can see it online, you can see it on PBS, your local PBS, just look it up, Google it. It's called Lives Well Lived. And it is not to be missed because it will really enrich your life. So thank you, Sky. Thank you so much, Maria. What a wonderful way to start the day. Thank you so much. Take care.